Just a quick heads up before you jump into today's episode. This conversation was recorded back in late February, early March, so prior to our current social distancing and isolation of the coronavirus. So if you're wondering why we don't make reference to it in the conversation, that is why. Today's guest was also homeschooled in her primary school years because she lived in regional Queensland and she's currently sharing tips on her social media feeds about what is it like to be homeschooled and some strategies for parents. As a beautiful artist and illustrator, she's also guiding people through mindful drawing lessons. Again, I would encourage you to follow her social media feeds. But for now, on with the show. Man, I've always wanted to say that. Welcome to Stand Out Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness. My name's Ali Hill, and as a psychologist, I love asking people questions. And I thought, what better way to do this than to get the people I admire into a studio to share their stories. This podcast is our corner of the world where all of us can dive deep into what it takes to live a standout life. Creativity and art can be a dirty word for some of us, particularly if you wear the art scars of your childhood. Today's guest, Penelope Bell, has a life that has been told through her expression and connection to art. Growing up in country Queensland, she became fascinated in fashion and fostered her drawing and illustration skills, leading to what she does now for a job, which is fashion illustration. A couple of years ago, Penny embarked on a project called Consciously Spending Less to Create More. We explore the lessons from this year, lessons that had her questioning the fashion industry, and then through that, reconnecting with it in a different way. Penny also shares openly about navigating a sleep disorder, through one of which her prescriptions, for want of a better word, is through the art of composting, of all things. This conversation with Penny is engaging, it's connecting, and it calls forward the opportunity that we all have to free ourselves of the limiting beliefs that hold us back. So get your art pens and paper at the ready as you enjoy this conversation with Penelope Bell. Penny, welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me. It's uh, such a delight to be sitting down with you, and there are a few jumping off points that I want to have uh, with you, but I think what underpins your work and some of the essence of what you do is this thread of storytelling. Yeah. So I'd love to start there. What is it about stories that captivates you? Uh, I think telling stories really just comes back to childhood and the it's escapism at the end of the day, a little bit. I mean, even if they're true stories, you still have to transport, they still transport you somewhere and open your eyes up to different, a different world, different perspectives, different um, thoughts and visuals. I don't know. I just, I've always got lost in them. I just love them. I love stories. So you're an illustrator. One of the things that you do is these beautiful illustrations and often connected to kind of fashion illustrations. Yeah. Yeah. How does storytelling tie into what I would see the art of a drawing? Yeah. Where do you see the crossover between putting coloured things on paper yeah. and storytelling? In relation to the fashion industry? Mm. I think for the fashion industry, when I studied fashion design, so that's my qualification, 
we obviously had to sketch all of our fashion collections as part of the design process. And I can still remember one of my graduating assignments. Um, I'd done all my sketches up and and then I'd written at the top of it one perfect day. And when we were being judged or assessed, the one of the teachers said, what's this, what's that word about? And I said, it's just one perfect day. To me, that's the that's what one perfect day would look like if I could wear my perfect outfit and everything around the sketches that I'd done. So, you know, the flowers or the trees or the grass or whatever was in the landscape to me was a perfect day. And to sell a collection to the consumer, you need to be able to relate. You, you need to, it needs to be aspirational for people to relate to it or if not aspirational, it has to have something relatable in it for people to connect with the clothes. Because at the end of the day, you have we all have relationships with our clothes and that's, oh, I don't know why I think that that's really cool, but... Yeah, that you're telling the story, yeah, you're describing you, that. You kind of tell the story of what you will be from wearing those clothes and... Probably ever since I grew up from childhood, clothes have always been such a... They've been probably probably one of the main consistents in my life and I just loved how... I, I, I loved seeing women wear clothes and the confidence that would that exude from those clothes. Where so, did that come from, for you from? Where? From your childhood, yeah. Yeah. connection to clothes. I don't... Well... My nana and papa had a fashion label back in the day. Um, so I think it was probably, and my mum was an art teacher, so she was always, I think there was that um, visual, I always was drawn to things that were visual or beautiful. I just loved beautiful things. Um, but I I can remember, so I, grow, I grew up in the country. and Whereabouts? Central Western Queensland on a sheep and cattle property, which was 70 kilometres from the closest town. Which is not what you associate with uh, no. like a fashion label and no, mum yeah. being an art teacher. No, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we did um, 50 kilometres of that was dirt road. So we did distance education growing up. And um, so we didn't go into town very much at all. Um this is going make, to make us sound like the biggest bunch of, like, hillbillies. Um, <laughs> but we weren't. We were still connected to the world. Um, but, yeah, so we didn't have any of that maybe external um, stimulus around us other than what we had on the property, which was nature. Um, so I imagine nature, like... Imagination must have played a massive yeah, part, massive both part. in education, in possibility, in yeah. what else is out there, because that's what pulls the rest of the world into your yeah into your station, right? Yeah, and it's so. I think when you grow up in the country, the landscape's so different. It's different colours. Um, they're all those earthy tones. So if you <laughs> And if you live in a drought, which we lived through a drought for quite a few years, it can be quite harsh. So you need, you, you need to kind of have imagination to 
get out of it in your own head, you know, to get through, not get out of it, but to get through it. Um, so we were always, you know, I can still would always say to mum, not always, but every now and then we'd say, I'm bored. And she's, you know, she'd say, I've got plenty of jobs you can do then. You can either clean the toilet, <laughs> clean the bathroom, or you can go outside and play. And so we always obviously chose go outside and play. And what is it about mums? My mum, I used to say that, and my mum's uh, statement was, only boring people get bored. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, mum. Yeah. What a slap across the face. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and same sort of thing. Like, there's so many things to go and do. Off you go. Yeah. Yeah. I love, mum was so, prag- both mum and dad were so pragmatic that we were kind of like, oh, yeah, okay. Um, but we went into the Bar and show, which was always a highlight of the year, and um, they had a fashion parade there and the show went for about three days and I'd go to the fashion day parade every day even though it was the same clothes. Um, and my, I can still remember mum took me behind, like behind the scenes or where all the ladies got dressed so we could have a look at the clothes up close and... I just remember thinking they were the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. And it was seeing the women on the catwalk. They were just locals, but they just looked so confident and happy. And I used to, when mum would go into town without us um, and she'd come home after being in town for the day, I always used to ask her, who did you see? <laughs> who did you see in town? And she'd say, oh, I don't, I don't you know. Beryl? I don't, yeah, I don't know, Ben. And I was like, no, who did you see? <laughs> And she'd say, Beryl from the bakery. <laughs> and I'd say, and what was she wearing? <laughs> and then she'd say, just her baking outfit. And then I'd say, and who else did you see? And she'd say, Eleanor. And I was like, and what was she wearing? And she'd say, just a shirt. And I was like, what colour's the shirt? So I'd go through, I'd, yeah, want, wow. I'd want to know about buttons, pockets, yeah, prints. So I don't know, and I don't know where that really came from because mum didn't have... Um, she didn't like the glossy mags. She didn't like us reading them. So we didn't have, we had National Geographic. Um, so I don't, I don't think, I don't know really where it came from. There was something about that that was Yeah, I think I'm a bit of a bow bird and I just like shiny things. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not unusual for a lot of us. Um, but there's, there's obviously a deeper connection for you around textiles and yeah. fabrics. And, yeah. And, I love them. And piecing together and that. That look and feel, and I love those those questions. What came to mind for me was almost like the castle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what movie did you watch? <laughs> I know. As it's I was like saying, that, I was thinking, gone. "Oh, shut up, girl." No, but it's these threads, right, throughout our life yeah. that often um, can start to inform where you, yeah. you come from. So, fast forward, then it's time to kind of spread your own wings and, yeah. and leave the farm. Yes. Um, what was was that when you went into fashion? No, we well, we got sent to boarding school. Um, so I was twelve when we went, and I went to school down here in Brisbane, and that was just oh, I loved school. It was the biggest, my whole world just exploded in opportunity. Um, and so, I, and I had everything that I loved on tap. I was a bit of a, bit of a drama queen. So drama, singing, I loved singing, um, sport, I loved sport. It was just, I couldn't believe my luck. 
I honestly just thought I'd hit the jackpot. And I had. Like, we were very privileged to go to the school that we, I went, well, that my sister and I went to. Um, and I think that the school was great because it, it really nurtured my skill set and encouraged that side of me. And I don't know if I... I don't, wouldn't have had the opportunities had we gone to school in town. Um, so that's where it kind of probably I thought I'll probably go into something creative. And then when we were choosing subjects for grade 12, um, my parents were talking to me about it and Dad said, what can you see yourself doing? And I just sometimes I just think, I, sometimes I wonder how I got through life because <laughs> I... I I have no recollection of saying this, and I said, I just want to use my hands. That's all I want to do. Um, Use my hands and tell stories. So, and I love, I mean, I was still drawing, I was drawing women wearing fashionable clothes since I was, like, four. So, and I was still drawing them all through um, high school. So, and I loved sewing because I learned how to sew when I was really young. I think it was just a very obvious choice. Yeah. Yeah. So then um, when I finished school, I didn't get into the um, fashion design course that I wanted to get into initially, so I studied communications at UQ and that was awesome. I loved living the college life. (laughs) Which is really (laughs) what first year in uni is all about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And as part of that... You know, I threw myself into every extracurricular activity you could and I did a play and when I, we performed the play, there was someone in this um, audience who worked at a drama school or an acting school, so I was offered a scholarship to study acting, which I did. Um, and, yeah, then I went... I juggled fashion design and acting at the same time for a little while and then I couldn't really keep both of them up, so... I, dropped drama and or acting and went to fashion. And where did that lead you out, out of uni? So once you'd had that, that qualifications yeah, that under your me, belt. Oh, I feel like I feel like I've done everything. Um, so when I first left uni, I couldn't get a job to save myself. I think I applied for about 60 jobs and got two interviews. That's tough, isn't it? Yeah, it was it's brutal. And, and I... I graduated with distinction, so I was, like, confident with my abilities. And so it was a massive knock to my confidence, huge, more than what I probably realised at the time. So I just got a job in retail and worked in that for a little bit and then picked up a job as a costume design assistant. So I did that for probably three or four months or however long the contract was for. Um, and then I tutored pattern, like taught people how to pattern make for a little bit. And then I got a job as a design assistant for a local Brisbane label um, and also managed one of their boutiques uh, for a while. And that's when I decided I'd just set up my own label as well. So I set that up and sold to, I stocked my label to the boutique. And then... And what was your <coughs> label? Was that a variety of, like, did it have a particular slant? Um, 
When I was 23, I described it as casually awesome. Only <laughs> 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 23-year-olds would. <laughs> Still kind of love it. Um, it was just, you it can't was, argue with that. What's your style? Casually no, it's not, awesome. actually. It's yeah. casually chic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I put it on my website. And I still remember Dad saying, I went to your website. <laughs> You're casually awesome. And I said, yes, I am. <laughs> he uh, wasn't one of your uh, customers, I would imagine. <laughs> not my target market, so you don't matter. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was great. Dad was actually huge in... Mum and Dad have always been really supportive and Dad was really great in helping me, like, push along. And because I didn't have a credit card before then, so I had to go and get a credit card. I can still remember thinking the bank, the person at the bank was very irresponsible because they gave me a $20,000 card limit. <laughs> Which, I, said, I, I said to him, that's really irresponsible <laughs> for someone who's never had a credit card. I could, I could get into some serious debt here. But I needed it for to buy fabrics, fabrics and, and yeah. pay, you know, pay for materials and things like that. Um, yeah, so that was where, and so Dad kind of just, I mean, I did it all myself, but he pushed me along. And then um, I used to make him come to fabric appointments with me <laughs> because I thought, oh well, if you're if you're pushing me along, you need to see where all my costs are going. Um, and understand how where the costs are, so it's not just like um, it's not just in the fabric. It's in the pattern making, and then it's in the twirling, and then the sampling, and then repattern making, and um, then the producing, and all that side of things. And yeah, it was a, it was a really cool experience. What was that experience like taking your dad with you and having I loved him it. see yeah, that th- side of it? I really loved it because I think because we hadn't lived together since we were, since I was 12. Um, and they moved down to Brisbane eventually. So um, I've always been really proud of my parents and I'm not really ashamed to, like, invite them to things. Um, but it was cool to have him see the value in what I did. Not that he didn't think there was value to it, but I can I still remember I bought a dress and he said, how much was it? And I thought, oh, no. It wasn't even that much. Like, But as a 22 or 3-year-old, it was $160. And, again, like nowadays that doesn't seem much, but th- that was like 15 years ago. And when you have your own business, you don't like just throwing your money around. I think probably that's the country girl in me. <laughs> and he said, okay, how, um, how many pattern pieces in the dress? And I said, oh, I can't remember how many. I think there were, I can't remember how many there were. And he said, it, I said, it's double lined. <laughs> As if that made things so much better. <laughs> um, Value for money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I said, and then he said, where's it made? And I said, in Australia. And he goes, it's pretty good value. And that was such a, I remember thinking, you get it. Because he had been, like, he'd, he'd, kind of walked the path with me and he, he, Dad definitely started looking at fashion in a different way after that. Um, yeah, we had 
Yeah. I needed Dad on a few occasions. Yeah. One of the quests that you've embarked on is what you're calling this conscious spending. Consciously Consciously spending, spending less yes. to create more. Yes. <laughs> and it's a commitment you've made across 2020. Yeah. Uh, but it's a pathway that you've been down before. Yeah. What mm. What is it? Yeah, so I created Consciously Spending Less to Create More. Um, in 2016 is when I started planning it and then in 2017 I launched it. And basically I... So I haven't... Even though I love fashion, I've never been a big consumer of it and a lot of the people around me, especially being in the fashion industry, um, they... Just I couldn't get over how much money they were spending but also how little they were wearing their clothes before they threw them out or gave them away. Um, so I just thought, I think it was part, it was a few things. I kind of wanted to do the project as a way of saying you can, you can still look good without having to buy the current trend with what you already have in your existing wardrobe. And then I think probably subconsciously I was really, I was illustrating at that stage and I loved illustration, but illustration was always what I used to do before I took it up as a career, as my hobby. And I missed not having my creative outlet. So I thought I'll do this um, year of not buying any clothes and then... If I want something or if I need something, I either have to shop my own wardrobe, make it, design it, make it, and design it and make it myself. But whatever I designed and made had to then fit back into my wardrobe to create another outfit. So that so that was where it was like creating more with less. Um, and then the last resort was to buy. But I didn't end up buying it. I didn't need anything. Um, yeah. Was there anything you were... Oh, well, what were you nervous about going into that year? Because it can be something going, right, I'm going to be able to do yeah. this. And yeah. What what was your thinking before, you, like even that week, first week you started or those first yeah. couple of weeks? It was a, well, this was definitely a constant the whole way through and it still remains a constant, which I'm ashamed to admit. But when my background's fashion and I work in the fashion industry and my clients are often fashion businesses so to say I'm not spending any money in your industry see ya but I still want to work with you just I was really worried about how it would affect business and even though I knew that I'd be showcasing my skills set as a designer and you know having style as part of that it still really worried me um that brands would see me as amateur, a bit of an amateur but also not someone who supports the industry. So that was definitely one of the biggest challenges and that's still something that plays on my mind. Um, I was worried about... <laughs> I think everyone would have this worry about not looking the way that I wanted to look. Um, and it's funny, so... I did it properly. I got in Anna, who you've had on this podcast. Yeah. 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 So Anna's, um, I met Anna through a work job and then we became friends and I engaged her 
um, to go through my wardrobe with me in preparation for the um, year of consciously spending this. And that was like, I just loved it. Everyone should use Anna. And the week later, I don't, for some reason, I, I think I just thought I'd morph into um, all of my style icons overnight. I think I thought I would be just as fashionable as them, as my Pinterest board overnight, and it didn't happen. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Pinterest yeah. selling furfies again. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that's where I'm like, my imagination always gets the better of me. <laughs> like, I think, oh, why? Why can't I live up to my own expectations? Um, yeah, so that after the first month I was, I was like, I'm bored. I'm really bored and I don't like how I look. Not like physically look, but I don't like how I don't look like the glamour post that I thought I would. And that would be, like, if I were to put myself in that shoes, it's one of those things of, or anyone who might be listening who might be thinking about this themselves, is that, is that sense of boredom or yeah. here we are in summer but, you know, come winter fashion and, you know, my winter clothes are a little bit old or yeah, so... Yeah, a bit tired so, looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and as you said right at the start, what we wear is, you know, we have a relationship yeah. with it. And so sometimes a piece can be that ejection of colour or lightness or confidence that when yeah. we put it on... Um, and so there can be that fear of what if there's nothing in my wardrobe that gives me that or that's going to connect with what how I want to feel yeah. right now. How did you navigate that? that? I got, well, you have to get really curious. And I, I have always bought, even though I don't have a big wardrobe, um, as, as I said to Anna one day, my basics, like you, you know, how we all have our basics that you then build from. I was like, my basic is outrageous. Like it's, Anna said I needed to get a pair of culottes, everyday culottes. And so I was like, yep, tick, I'll do it. So I found everyday culottes in mulberry sequin. They were mulberry and a sequin, <laughs> fully sequin culotte. And Anna was like... Everyday. Yeah, everyday culottes. <laughs> and I just thought, I haven't found any culottes that I like except for these ones. And I just thought, oh, just I'll just get them. Um, so I have... I'm not afraid to buy things that are a little bit more statement because I love them and probably... And also I, I'll probably spend more on a piece than what your average person would because I, like, I'll look at, like, fibre content and the quality and how it's made and all that sort of thing. And I found I had to get really curious about my clothes and I, or I think I already probably possess that, but what I often say to the like people around me is, I was like, just look at the seams and see if they're an equal, like if that, <laughs> this sounds so mundane, but if you look at the seam and see if it's sewn in a straight line, one centimetre, I think, God, that's good. Like that's so well made. And then So I'll, what does that tell you? What What's your eye looking for when you see that? Um... Care. Yeah. Just care. And how something, if something's beaded or if something's embellished or embroidered or 
the textile print isn't something I've seen before. I think I'll look at it up close and just admire the handiwork. And I, that to me is someone taking care in making something. And I probably as a designer and as someone who knows how to design and make, I think I know the amount of time it takes in order to something, in order for something to be that beautifully made. And I take a lot of pride in doing that when I make clothes. So to think that someone else has done that for the clothes that I'm wearing and buying, I just think, how nice is that? Like, And that to me is the start of, we talk about a relationship, that's yeah. the start of a relationship, right, with this yeah. piece or this item of clothing yep. that you may or may not, whether you purchase it or not. Yeah, and it's. Yeah. I said to a few of my friends before I started the project, of everything that... Of all the ball gowns that... Because you, you know how when we were younger we went to all these balls? I was like... Oh, well. I don't know what happened. Right? Like, <laughs> no, my, I know. My world is very devoid of balls. <laughs> I know. I, I feel like I, I want to bring it back. <laughs> I will. I'll bring it back one day. But um, I said of all the dresses that we wore to all these balls that we went to, which ones were your favourites? And or what, which ones stand out to you? And they all were... Either dresses that had been, that spent a lot of money on, or it was a dress that their mother or their nana had made for them, or that that had professed, like made just for them. And I just think, like, it doesn't, that feeling of, it is that relationship, but it's the feeling of someone making something just for you and how that makes you feel and how it makes you remember that piece of clothing, like, that never goes away. So, yeah. What, what has surprised you about this project? Um, well, I went... My mind, said, went, my mind went to some places that I didn't expect it to go. I thought I... I would say that I have a pretty good, like, grip on mindset, but it really challenged me in how I thought about the industry. So I, um, some days after, like, probably kicked in, it did, it kicked in about the five-month mark where I really started to struggle with wearing the same items of clothing over and over again. And some days I just would have to say to myself, just get out the door. And that's never happened. So I, it takes, I don't take that long to get ready. I enjoy getting ready. And I haven't ever really um, been dis... <laughs> so bad. I always think, oh, you look presentable when I walk out the door. Like, I'm always satisfied with what I come up with, generally. Not all the time, but... And so those days I was like, just get out the door because it was taking way too long. And so I'd think, yeah, just get out, just get out. And then... Too many of those days in a row, I'd think, just get out the door, you're more than your clothes. You are more than your clothes. And so I'd be like, yeah, you are more than your clothes. You are more than your clothes. Get out the door. And which, of course, we all know. Yes. And then too many of those days in a row, I'd start saying or thinking to myself, you're more than your clothes. You're more than your clothes. And then I'd think, how dare the industry make me think that I have to dress a certain way or that 
what I'm wearing isn't good enough. And then too many of those days in a row, I thought, what a terrible (laughs) industry. Um, And I became, I can, yeah, there was one day where I remember thinking, what even is this industry? Like, what a piece of work. And then thankfully I nipped it in the bud and thought, ooh, I have never thought that. I've never, I know the fashion industry, there's a lot of dirty sides to it and that's, I've known that for a long, long time, but I've never resented resented it. And in terms of how you feel on a, on a, any given day yeah, or that yeah, kind I've of never personal... resented it for how it made me feel. And that's, I thought, oh, this is where a lot of the people around me sit. That's their perception of the fashion industry. And um, that really surprised me that that's how all of those thoughts leading up to it is um, all came back to the difficulty in getting dressed and not not enjoying what you look like. Um, so that was really, that was, that hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, and then another one was um, when I started to think that, Probably that was the whole sustainable fashion conversation was being like talked about at, by that stage, and I, I almost was a bit paralysed after the project. In, um, I've I've always been very conscious of what I buy, and don't buy willy nilly. But after the project, I just kind of was like, I can't, I just couldn't buy anything <laughs> because. I was like, well, I want to make sure whatever I buy is going to serve a purpose and makes me feel good and it's going to be my first purchase since, you know, not buying, spending for a year, so I want it to be good. And I just went into the overwhelm and couldn't buy anything. That's really interesting, isn't it? It's almost yeah. this paralysis of... Um, and even what you described before... I imagine there was a level of kind of empathy and understanding yeah, that you would totally. never have had having stepped out and it's not not a level you can get to in a day. No. Like it, it does take that yeah. kind of time. But then to come back in, that would be, yeah, really, really interesting. I mean, what comes to mind for me, I remember having, um, well, it was about five years ago now, went to Malawi and had kind of 10 days over there and just kind of struck by the poverty of the place and going into um, villages and coming home, going to the supermarket, that first time I went to the supermarket yep. was so overwhelming that I, I literally it's had to put my basket down and walk out with tears coming down my eyes because I just went, the fact that I have options in toothpaste is ridiculous yeah. with what I've, I just couldn't reconcile it yeah. with what I'd seen. And whilst that's a different thing, I think from a feeling point of view, that yeah. overwhelm of, oh, okay, that that awareness in whatever it is, whether it's kind of fashion or work or whatever, when people yeah. have that awareness. It was really, it was quite confronting and I, and it affected me probably more than what I care to admit, but it also then affected, it doesn't affect just one part, like just your um, style side of life. It affected me professionally, like I was paral- I was paralysed for a long work-wise or I just thought, I, I, I don't even know where I fit. 
and I felt like I didn't fit anywhere and um, that really challenged. It was, a, it was a really big challenge and it's, I thought it would be a walk in the park because I was like, I don't buy that much. I probably and have... you can make clothes. Like, I guess that's the other exactly. thing is yeah. that you can sew. Whereas yes. I'm sitting going, I can do a scrunchie. That's about yeah. my limit of sewing. Yeah. Whereas you kind of have I that can as make an option, clothes, right? But that's probably... That was also the other thing was that I put a lot of pressure on myself because I can make something. I can make clothes. But I also have a business. And that was an... Oh, that, look, there was so many things in that whole project. But um, I didn't realise, I mean, I realised, but it was just eye-opening to see how much time I was spending in my after hours on my business. And, you know, when I had events to go to, I had the most events, the most fashion events I've ever been to in that year of not buying any clothes. Um, And so I had to, like, I had to make outfits for these events. And yeah, I remember feeling really guilty at night time not working on or not doing things or having to carve out time for myself and then carve out time for the clothes on the weekends. And um, and I wrote a post, a blog about it, and I said what I found was being time poor makes you poor. And we all know that we spend way too much time on our phones, but that was another um, eye-opener again because you can find so much time, so much time. There's so much time in our day that we just waste. So that was another really good lesson. And, again, I was kind of aware of it, but I probably didn't realise how um, how much time I was spending on my business and not carving out time for me. And it was, um, and on the flip side of that, it it gave me so much confidence because that's what creating is what, is when I just feel like I'm at my best. So it was a weird, like there was so many um, feelings and thoughts and emotions in the whole process, but, and it was hard and I was kind of resistant to do it again, but I can still remember the first time I started pattern making um, the first outfit for the project and I just, you know, in those moments you just feel like you? Yeah. And I just thought, I just feel exactly like me and that that just gave me so much confidence. So it's, yeah, it was a bit of a beast but one of the best things I've ever done. Enough to jump into it. Again. Oh, yeah. yeah, slightly different this time. Yeah. Yeah. What's different about it this time? Um, so this time I inherited heaps of beautiful fabrics from my my um, friends, grandmothers over the years and from strangers um, and from my own grandmother and they've just been sitting at, sitting in my sewing cupboard and, again, I think... I value fabric and um, all of those items so much that I don't want to just make any old thing from them and not do them justice. So instead they've just sat for about 15 years. Um, 
So this project I can buy I can buy if I want to, but it has to be it has to have a luxury brand price tag on it, which um, to make sure that whatever the purchase is is really considered and conscious. Um, so there could be a good chance I won't buy anything for the 12 months. <laughs> but um, the other component of it is that whatever I have to start sewing from the um, fabrics that I've been given. So I've got trims from like the 1920s and the most beautiful like um, broderie anglaise cottons, I've got cotton lace, like all these amazing fabrics from all these amazing women and I just think it's such a shame to let them sit and not, it sounds very spiritual, but kind of not let their memory die with it. Um, And they were given to me because otherwise they would have been thrown out and I said, oh, you can't throw those out. Like that's, I know what it's like to have your fashion, like your sewing cupboard. If you enjoy sewing, your sewing cupboard's like your kind of oasis. (laughs) It's your paradise. Um, And it's a big part of my, I don't know, soul, whatever. Um, So to think that I've got all these old souls just sitting there. Um, it, Yeah, I feel like it's a bit of a... It's probably a bit of a legacy project, really. Yeah, it sounds like an opportunity to breathe life. Back, back into in, them. Yeah, back into them in a new way and in a way that yeah, yeah. kind of feeds back yeah. into you as well. And I kind of find cool. that so exciting. And also the stories in there. Like mm. there's so many stories behind one piece that I think, well, who else? Who in the world's got that story? No one. And so the story gets to continue yeah. a bit. Yeah. By it gets, to, into it gets that. to live on. I love part of what you're kind of describing in your project and even stepping into this new project is just disrupting the pattern is yeah. actually just and that's the consciously part of it because mm-hmm. so often we just get into the unconscious, whether it's be on our phone, whether it's to do work after hours, whatever it is, it's that conscious awareness, yeah. which is really kind it's, of powerful. Yeah, it's powerful and it's hard at the same time. It's really hard to... I think I've always been a bit of a conscious cat and that probably from growing up um, on the property, we saw a lot of things that we probably sh- most kids haven't seen. Not, I mean, I went, it wasn't traumatic or anything, but... It's real. It's, it's life, very real. Right? It's a circle life of life that. out there. Yeah. And... Um, you know, we had windmills to pump our water and solar panels to heat our water and nothing got... Everything was, like, given a second life. I wore my, ha- like, sister's hand-me-downs. Um, and, again, I didn't ever think... It wasn't a scarcity thing. It wasn't my. It wasn't that my parents were too cheap and didn't want to give bias things. It was just that you just didn't have access to the shops, so you couldn't, you know, you had to make do with what you had there and then. Um, and that breeds innovation and creativity in itself. But it also is, a, I think it's a little bit of a pride thing in that you you make do with what you've got and you spend your money on the things that matter. And um, one of the things we got drilled into us as kids were you do it once and do it well. So that was one. And 
Um, don't take shortcuts was another one. Um, and also quality. So not to buy just any old thing, you buy quality. Because it's going to last, right? Because it has like to it last has, you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to dive into creativity because obviously it's a massive part of your thread in a, in a range of different outlets and mediums yeah. that creativity. Uh, we we mentioned before we, before we turned the mic on that, you know, Brene Brown... Anyone who kind of follows her knows and, and follows me knows that I'm a massive fan of the stuff that she does and talks about. But she says um, one of the biggest scars that people carry around are their art scars, mm-hmm. their, you know, belief that they're not creative yeah. and, and these scars can come from... Because the truth is children are naturally creative. Yeah. Like they're fascinated and they figure I'll out give how the anything world, a try. world yeah. ticks and they try it. 25 times rather than one or two that we yeah. do and give it up. They, they, their persistence is incredible. And so it's often the reason why we, we move away from art um, is because of things that we've been told or being yeah. socialised and so we carry these scars with us sometimes from childhood um, early up. But you dive into that world and one of your um, outlets obviously is these beautiful illustrations yeah. but you also run drawing classes. Yes. Yeah. How do you coax and encourage that creativity out of, like, what do you see in that space in terms of some of those scars and how do you coax that out of people? Yeah, everyone thinks they can't draw and... But I can't. No. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm... <laughs> I'll show you, no. And what happened in your childhood, yeah. Ali, to make you feel that way? Yeah. But it's true, right? Like, we go, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, everyone else but me, you haven't yeah, actually no. seen... Yeah, I know, and I think... What an entitled thing to think that it's just you. Like, get a grip. Um, no, I think, um, no offence to any of the art teachers, but a lot of art teachers have a lot to answer for because so many people have said that their art teacher told them that they had no talent or that they couldn't draw. Um, and I just think, who would, why would you say that to someone? Anything's learnable. Like you can learn anything. You don't have to be the best at it, but you can. If it, if you get enjoyment out of it, why should you stop? Just because of what someone says. Um, but I think probably growing up, you want to be the best at everything. Like people, kids love praise and love being told they're good at something. Um, so I, ha- I mean, mum was an art teacher. So it's kind of hard because I didn't have, I had all the encouragement in the world. Um, And I wonder if some of it is because as you come through primary school and even high school, teachers and kids and families are trying to figure out where people might fit into the world. And so you're kind of seeing where natural talents and things have come out. And so some of that can come from really well-meaning places going, oh, this isn't the pathway for you if I were to project ahead um, and probably sounds like in your pathway, like it, it absolutely was that pathway. Yeah. So it was encouraged down that direction. So even if it's not a career, unfortunately it gets... Yeah. You know, so it gets, Elizabeth Gilbert, have you read Big Magic? I have, yeah. Oh, that was one of the most inspiring books I've ever read. And to be, I think that, that everyone should read that book. But I think they... Um, it's funny, I kind of think of it like... I can still remember when I left school and thinking, being at college and there are all these sports up for grabs and I remember thinking, what do you, like, I know that that's what you do at school but is that what you do 
at uni? Like, do you do you retain, like do you keep your fitness up? Do you keep all your hobbies up at uni? Because I saw so many people let them go, and I thought, is that what you do? Like, maybe you do just give them up. Maybe that's maybe they just die at school and. <laughs> You bury them forever. Because now you have to be adult. Because now you have to be an adult. Mm. And I'm so sophisticated and important now. Um, so I definitely had that thought as a 17, 18-year-old, which, again, I never thought I would have thought that. And I remember thinking, well, you really enjoy running and you really enjoy art and drama, so why would you give that up? And luckily I listened to it. But... I think, I yeah, I think there's a lot of people who listen to that inner voice too much, listen to the external voice too much, um, and listen also to um, care too much about what other people are going to think of them for doing so. Uh, yeah, that's a lot of... I definitely know a lot of people around me have said that they didn't think it was... it wasn't perceived as cool... Like Have you got any, um, I guess, stories from some of the illustration classes where you've seen people make that shift to go from yeah. but I can't draw? It happens every time. To producing. What, the first what have you class, seen? It's like Not in only... the first 15 minutes. Yeah, right. It's what amazing. happens? Um, well, I just explain. We go through, so I have like a look, my process and I go through about um, what their perception is of people who can draw or people who are artistic, um, what beliefs they might have grown up with, what they relate to, how they would rate their drawing ability. So we talk about all of that um, and then I just pretty much say, so just scrap it, <laughs> like start again. Um, and I started right from like right from the very basics and I always say if you can draw a line and a circle, you're fine you'll be able to draw um, because it all just comes down to lines and shapes. That's all it is at the end of the day and that's how I was taught it by my mum. Um, and so I guess probably explaining it to them and showing them how to break things down, It's honestly, it's always within the first 15 minutes, which is crazy when you have people who have, haven't picked up a pencil for 40 years and then in two hours, in 15 minutes or by the end of two hours have produced something that's like looks like something by someone who's been drawing for years, I just think what a waste. But also how I'm, how bloody great is that? And also I'm very proud of them. So Yeah, what are they? Because that must be amazing for themselves yeah. to be able to see that. Is there any yeah. that kind of stick out for you in your mind in terms of um, those stories in that shift? Yes. I mean, um, I had a gentleman, actually, he, so he's mid-60s and he always believed he couldn't draw. Um, he's from the country originally and um, his daughter's, really creative and his sister was really creative. So he thought he might be able to, but he just didn't even know where to start. Um, and he also said he has a shake, like a um, bit of a shake in his hand. And I was like, that will just give you a unique style. Um, and he was amazing. And his, 
come back again to, for another class in a different a different class. But the con- to, I think it's when they say, they always say, I can't believe I drew this. Um, and then when you start getting messages or them sending you photos of their practice at home, because we always do a three-minute sketch where I make them... It's probably the three-minute sketch is a big turning point. Um, and that's, yeah, I think when they start drawing at home, when they do the three-minute sketch, um, and I always, like, will take a photo of a close-up part of the illustration um, and show it to them. For some reason it always looks... The detail, you can capture all the detail up close in that and I, it's like a lot of them are always shocked with how good it looks. Yeah, it's it's hard to explain really but um, everyone walks out saying they can't believe they drew it and that, that, can, that they can draw, which, again, I think I knew from, I mean, the fact that you signed up means that there's a curiosity there and that you want to, and that's all it takes. So for someone who might be listening going, yeah, but I can't But I really can't, yeah. (laughs) You don't know me. Yeah, yeah. How would you encourage them? If you can draw a circle and a line, (laughs) you really can. It's, I think it's, um, don't you want to be free of that? To be, to be perfectly honest, I think, what else are you telling yourself that you can't do? And that's, there's plenty of things that I think, there's not many things I think I can't do. I don't think I'd be good at them, but there's very few things that I think, oh, no. Um, But, yeah, I think to have something, to feel that strongly about something that you won't try it, I think there's, then that is, paralysing you on a lot of other levels in your life and areas in your life. I can see To hold that. on to something, to want to hold on to that belief so strongly and staunchly, I think, I, I mean, in the words of Frozen, let it go, but it's what there's, that's limiting you and you um, may not be aware of how, just how much and how little it will take to release it. Which is freedom. It's almost... total freedom. And it's, I mean, it's my, mindfulness. Um, the classes are so zen. Everyone walks out of it. It's the most, they're the most lovely, peaceful, calm. They're the most beautiful classes. They're honestly, they're such a joy. I get so much joy from teaching them because everyone in there's positive. Um, I shut, I do shut down criticism a lot. Like I have no time for that. And I tell them that, like, that they're not allowed to speak poorly of their work or of anyone else's. Um, yeah, they have to choose two things they like every at the end of every class. But it's, yeah, it's the release of something that's been hanging over you for for your life, really. And that's, uh, you know, that, I mean, that's a bigger metaphor even beyond drawing, right, is that freedom of what is what is that belief that's holding you back yeah. because that's actually got nothing to do with how the picture looks yeah. is what you're describing. Yeah. It's actually 
it's the act of putting the circle and the line I think it's, on the paper. Yeah, it's. I think a white piece of paper is really overwhelming for a lot of people. It's that whole, it's a blank canvas, it's a clean slate and you don't want to muck it up, like I think, because well, you kind of almost think, oh, this is my one shot. Um, I still think that when I paint, like I still think, I mean, I'm... I'm probably work through the feeling a lot faster, but there's always a point when I'm painting or a commission or an artwork where I think, I've stuffed it, I've stuffed it. Every single time I think, I've stuffed it. Oh, I'm going to have to start again. And then I think just just try and fix it, keep pushing through. And I've never, well, there have been times I have stuffed it, but very rarely do I have to start again. It's just that that's part of the process. It's part of the patience around it. So, yeah, it's a it it's a pa- it's an exercise in patience, really. Yeah, it's a shame, unfortunately, that I've stuffed it. It's part of the process, but yeah, I know. <laughs> but if yeah. once you once you make friends with that, yeah, that's okay. But also, as well. I think when I my nephew and nieces were around at Christmas time, and I was drawing with them, and um, my nephew's name is Rupert and he loves drawing. I I really hope he never lets it go. Anyway, so he was drawing and I was, um, he drew something and it was great. Well, he drew fingers on the hands for the first time, which mum and I were like, oh my God. Um, and then he drew something and I was like, that's pretty good. In my head, I thought that's pretty good. If he just drew a line here, I reckon it would be Excellent. So I said, hey, Rue, why don't you draw a line just here? And he was like, ah, no. I was like, yeah, yeah, I think. I thought, maybe this is a confidence thing. I said, yeah, I think if you just draw a line here, it's going to look amazing. And he goes, it already looks amazing. (laughs) (laughs) But, yep. (laughs) And who am I to tell you that? Like, what what an awful thing to say to a kid. Like, but it's... I think that's the thing of he sees, and it's like what we were saying before, yeah. he sees what he has drawn as the bee's knees. And who, why, why do we take that away from people? Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's the thing that, and he loves it. They, like they just, they just love it. They love getting all the colours and mixing them up to make a revolting, murky, dirty brown. Oh, it's the best. Because that's yeah. the best colour. But they love it. And it's. I think that's probably... I always say, like, forget about the outcome. Don't worry about the outcome. Just feel, like, get the feeling. And that's that's what you want. You just want the feeling of freedom. So if you're thinking 2020, yes. um, if the pursuit is where are those, capturing those moments of freedom for yourself, oh, yeah. are there any kind of limiting beliefs that you might yeah. hold that are carrying you forward that if yes. you wouldn't let that go, <laughs> there'd yeah. be another piece of freedom. How long have we got? <laughs> yeah. 30 seconds. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, it's funny, We just I just taught a mindful drawing class this week um, and, you know, you have to encourage people because everyone thinks, thought they had to be able to draw, which they don't. Um, and so... I had to encourage and can encourage and encourage. And you have to share so much of yourself to get people to um, 
get the most out of the session. So I was like, you might be feeling like this. And then as I was talking, I was like, oh, my God, you're just... You're just talking out all of your worries at the moment. Um, but I think probably, so I choose a word for every year. This year I chose three. Um, and I chose big love and laugh. Um, and probably because I have like some of my own limiting beliefs around prevent me from fully maybe experiencing those things, which sounds so nice. <laughs> that makes me sound like a basket case. But um, I think for B- I played really small last year as a result of the ramifications of consciously spending less and that doesn't serve me at all. And it, it d- really diminished. I felt really diminished and I don't like feeling that way. So I have to... I mean, imposter syndrome's a big one, um, where I just think you're not an ex, like you're not an expert in this. Like, who are you to say that someone else can do this when you're not fully accomplished at that either? Um, that's a big one. And um, ones, I mean, I think interestingly enough, we have more in common around that as human beings yeah. than we do around kind of expertise anyway, which is which is fascinating. But yeah. um, earlier this year, a podcast came out with James Clear, who's uh, he's an author of Atomic Habits. It's sold, I don't know, however, millions all around the world. Um, I downloaded said, his Audible book because oh, of that, yeah. your podcast. It was awesome. But, so you would have heard then where he yeah. kind of went, well, I didn't see myself as an author yeah. until kind of 12 months after the book had come out. Um, and so it's interesting, right, then if we're going, well, I'm not an expert. So, well, what's the measure of expert? And yeah. who's putting that measure on and what does that actually mean? Yeah. Um, so that's interesting if that's, yeah. I think too um, I'm a bit of a jack of all trades like I love so many things it's really hard to focus on you know just being a fashion illustrator I mean I love fashion illustration and I love everything around the industry now but to just be known as a fashion illustrator I feel like I'm selling myself short um because I have all these other skills and experiences that I feel (laughs) Um, that I can share. So I think it's imposter syndrome, but it's also I don't um, I don't know what the word would be, but you want you know you get told to put your best foot forward, and I'm a bit of a I would never have said this about myself, but I think sometimes everyone suffers from a bit of this of a perfectionist. And so I will come up with a plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, maybe I, if something doesn't work out. So I think, oh, well, if if they don't like that, then I'll have this one up my sleeve. And, I've, you know, I think we are all a bit of, bit, um, of a slave to overanalyzing things. So... I kind of have got that down, but it's the if I don't hear back from someone on a idea or a pitch or a proposal, I worry that it might um, 
not bode well for a future relationship, which is crazy because that's a, it's n- never been like that in the past. So I don't know why why I think like that now, but yeah. it's a bit of I want to put my best foot forward and so I think in my mind I think, well, that's going to take a lot of work and a lot of research and a lot of time and a lot of effort and hard work and I just don't have that amount of time up my sleeve right now. So then I think, oh, well, I'll just have to carve out time later later on and you never do. No, and it's funny, right, because the overanalyzing probably takes up far more time oh. than just doing the thing. But um, yeah. So I love that pullback to big this year yeah. is going to be about yep. playing big. Which yep. The other two you were saying, love and... Love and laugh. laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, love because, again, this one kind of hit me last year. Even though I would say I've been open to receiving love, I don't actually think I've been. It's And I don't know where I would have fitted it in, to be honest, in the last... Since having choosing illustration as a career, it's sort of required so much of my time and I don't know where I... Even though I thought I would be able to just sneak them in somewhere, like <laughs> I'd put them into my diary somewhere. <laughs> Two to three yeah. on a Monday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know where how I would have... I don't think so I would have... So there's an openness. Yeah, I think there was, there's definitely an openness there now. Yeah. Um, laugh. laugh. Oh, because I have a um, medical condition, which is called narcolepsy. It's a sleep disorder. And part one of the symptoms attached to that is a thing called cataplexy. And it affects your central nervous system um, and is brought on by, it's triggered by an emotion. And so a lot of people get it when they're angry or frustrated or upset. But I get mine when I'm really happy. <laughs> so all of my muscles go limp and I collapse. And um, over the years, and it's to just to probably give it a maybe for people to understand, like my, I'll slow my words. I find it hard to breathe because your organs, like they're muscles. Mm. So um, I've almost drowned in a pool because of it because I was laughing and no one knew that I hadn't seen it before, so um, I, and I couldn't stay afloat. Um, yeah, it's it's not it's it's one of my biggest vulnerabilities, I would say. And um, that's something you've had. So I was diagnosed <laughs> when I was fourteen, and that's what um, it's hard to diagnose narcolepsy, and I'm what they call in inverted commas a true narcoleptic, in that I. Um, I was one of the lucky ones who experienced the five main symptoms of the disorder. Um, so it's um, cataplexy, excessive sleepiness, um, sleep paralysis, hallucinations. What's the other one? Automatic behaviour. And um, so narcolepsy is the excessive sleepiness. It's like... This is how I was told to explain it. It's like being deprived of 72 hours sleep and then having to and being asked to do something really mundane at 2am in the morning and just having that overwhelming need to go to sleep. Um, so that's how I wake up. <laughs> um, and then the cataplexy is the um, the thing that I get when I feel 
it's mainly when I laugh and there's a certain sort of humour that's a massive trigger. Mm -hmm. But then um, I can compliment someone and my knees will buckle because you know how sometimes when you compliment people, it makes you, you feel good? Wave. Yeah. yeah. Um, or just thinking about something funny down the street and I was had to hold onto a chair because I was like... So it kind of... it it. I would say it feels every now and then a bit unfair <laughs> to be positive because I would say my natural, my um, my natural probably disposition is quite optimistic. Yeah, that would feel really like yeah. almost like your body's Bit going slap in the face. Hang on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So over the years, um, I've been really, I've been really conscious of it, and probably four years ago maybe five, I said to mum, I don't tell stories anymore. And she said, no, you don't, you don't. And she said, why do you think that is? And I can't deliver the punchline to the story without f falling over or without slurring my words or without it being a huge spectacle. So I just got to the point where I was like, I can't, you know, or I'd downplay it. So you like I'd build up this story and then... <laughs> get to right the punchline, punch and then I just think I can't. I'm I'm gonna fall. Like I'm gonna be on the ground, which makes sense. Like it's almost survival protective. Yeah. So then, like that. you build up this, well, not build up. Like I'll re be retelling a story that or something I've experienced, and you know you can see it. Everyone's like, and then what happened? And then I go, yeah, yeah, and then they just um, said hi. So I'll flat, like, yeah, I'll just, right. yeah. like, and that's what, that's not what happened, but I have to, like, really downplay it to a really basic level so that I don't laugh. You it's, must consciously be, yeah, it's the biggest, holding that Yeah, it's head. a massive fight that goes on in my head. Um, and then I, in 2017 or 18, I think it was 18, I started to feel really numb. And that's um, not a very nice way to feel. Even though I was like, I don't know why I feel numb because nothing's, I don't have any reason to be feeling numb. I wasn't depressed or anxious or anything like that. I just felt a bit void. Um, and I thought, um, and I realised I wasn't laughing as much. And I thought, I can't, you can't live like that. Um, so I thought I'd just have to go and try and find joy <laughs> that doesn't, a deeper sense of joy that doesn't give me that intense um, emotion. So I started composting and that it's going to sound really lame, but starting the compost and gardening, I mean, we like everyone knows that gardening's therapeutic and I did have a little, like I've got a little courtyard garden, but the compost, I don't know, I've weirdly got obsessed with it. And that has been the biggest um, release. It was, on, yeah. That outlet for joy, yeah. creativity. Yeah. Seeing something blossom. Seeing something blossom. And I think it's, I told my doctor um, about it and she was like, right. <laughs> um, should be prescribing this for everyone. <laughs> she said, oh, I'm a bit worried. Well, she was worried because I said, I'm n I feel numb. And um, she wanted me to try a few different medications and I was like, I'm not, I don't feel depressed, like I'm not sad or 
I can still get up in the morning, I'm still exercising, I still... Um, but she's, she said the first sign of depression is numbness and a lot of people who have narcolepsy get end up getting depression, depression yeah. because of um, cataplexy. Um, and I kind of... I was really like... I've sorted it. <laughs> I've found composting. It's <laughs> changed my life. <laughs> the but new it, antidepressant yeah. coming yeah. at you or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she didn't buy it for a while and I end up saying, if I tell you this, the song that plays out of my head most days is that Feeling Groovy by Simon and Garfunkel. I thought, honestly, I just feel like that song is my, how my life goes in my head. And she was like, get out of here, Penny. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> but I think it's that sort of thing where you go... Um, yeah, I don't know, I'm really proud of myself in that I, it was, it was, the last couple of years have been hard a little bit from, from that perspective and you, um, it's hard to find out what's wrong when you know that there's, there's nothing technically wrong but. Um, yeah, I had to get really curious. And I imagine it's also, yeah, that it's hard to find the thing that will help. Yeah. That's not so I, like yeah. our medical profession and, and I say this with absolute respect, but that'll be the default. Yeah, definitely. Composting doesn't come into yeah. a script. It doesn't come into that play and, and and it'll be one thing and there'll be, you know, other variations. Yeah. Of that, but um, that's to have navigated that. Yeah, in, you know, in a lot of ways yourself. Yeah, it's definitely something to be proud of. Sure. Yeah, I think you. I probably, um, probably having because illustration was always that was always my. Whenever I lost a job or finished working at some place or whenever I felt stressed. I would always go back to illustration. My sister pointed that out to me <laughs> years ago. She's like, that's your na- that's the thing that you always go back to to ground yourself. Um, and I love it. Like, there's no doubt about it. I'm very lucky to do what I do. But I made... I very clearly remember thinking when I decided I'd make it my business, I remember thinking, this is a business now. It's not a hobby. And in order for me to make it a business, you treat it like a business. Um, yeah, you and you can enjoy your business. So um, people often say like, oh, you're so lucky you get to do your passion. But that's not my passion. Like my passion's art, um, probably arts mainly. I love self-expression. I love, love Creativity. Any, yeah, creativity yeah. is my passion yeah. really at the end of the day. Um, but I probably didn't realise how much that was prior to taking it on as business, how much of my joy was found in that. So to then have to go looking for something else and consciously spending less, I think that was why I enjoyed it so much was that I was creating, but it still wasn't, it's not the same. It's not the same. It is, and, and everyone says it, but there is something about getting your hands into soil. And just seeing an ecosystem, like... Do you have a compost? <laughs> I've started one and then oh, let really? it go. Oh. <laughs> just even to see, it's, 
I just think it's crazy. I've never put worms in there and I have worms. Yeah. I don't know how they got in there. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's sort of, you know how they They've got in there. They've found a way. Yeah. yeah. Um, pretty sure there's probably a lot of other things in there that I don't want to know about. But um, I just find it mind-blowing that this little ecosystem has all of a sudden moved in and breaks down so much stuff to create something really nutritious that you can then, it's that whole, I always I talk about it in my social media, but I'm like, it's circular economy. But that is, it is the yeah. circular economy. And I just find that, I find it really inspiring. And I love then that I go to that bigger metaphor that that circle of, for you yeah. personally, yeah. of um, restoring, reconnecting yeah. is really powerful yes. and cool. And I think it probably, I, I think it's also something in that, when I go down to tend to my unruly garden, and it is that, it's a jungle, um, I put on my old work shirts from home. I'll put on my old work boots from home, which I never wear aside from that. Um, and there's, I think, that just even that, where as soon as I put them on, I th- this sounds probably a bit, a bit woo-woo, but I think I'm home. Yeah. And then you go down the back and just get your hands dirty and do all of that sort of thing. But it is that whole, um, it's just that whole, like, it's a bigger purpose. It's bigger than you. Yeah. And I like that. And I like you can that. find it in your own backyard. Exactly. That's, that's it's so really easy. something really cool about that metaphor as well. Yeah. So obviously you've heard this podcast. You know the last yeah. question that I ask. Um, the name of the podcast being Standout Life. When you hear that term, what does that mean to you to live a standout life? Um, I didn't even actually think about that question. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love. I love because um, some people who know it are going, right, they're mentally yeah, going, what did I think of before? This is something great, that's really, like, profound. In this moment, there doesn't even um, have to be anything profound. In this moment, I think a standout life is to be conscious of everything that you have at your fingertips and to be unashamed about expressing yourself and not in that um, self-expression in the most purest creative forms. I think just seeing it to maybe it is just to live a standout life is just to see opportunities everywhere. Beautiful. I, d- I love that. Thank you so much for your time, Thanks, for Ellie. sharing your story, Penny, and here's to a big year of love and laughter. Yeah, thanks. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then there's every chance that you might also enjoy reading a copy of my book called Stand Out, a real world guide to get clear, find purpose and become the boss of busy. You can grab a copy by heading to my website, www.alisonhill.com.au. Thank you for tuning into this episode. I wonder if there's someone in your world, someone who comes to mind that you know who would also love to hear this podcast someone who might soak up the insights that you've just heard from this episode. If there is someone that comes to mind, I'm wondering if I can ask a favour. The next time that you see that person or the next time that you spend time with family and friends, 
why don't you ask to borrow their phone just for a moment, search Standout Life on their podcast platform and subscribe them to this podcast. I reckon they'll enjoy it and it'll mean that we can keep having these conversations with even more amazing people.